0: Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au It says,
1: while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. And so going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, they seized Jesus and they arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions, that we know from other Gospels was Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion, that you have come out with swords and with clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. I'm going to hand over to Dave now, and he's going to bring the word of God from this passage for us today. Thank you, Dave.
0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Ironically, last time I preached here, it was just before Christmas. So I, I seem to um, get the special events Christmas, <laughs> Easter. Now, several years ago, I actually uh, was at an Easter service that was an interdenominational community church service. Um, and as I looked around the congregation, I realized that people from various faiths were reacting to the Easter story very, very differently. Um, much to my surprise, some of the different walks of life were wailing and crying as the story of the crucifixion was being read. They were almost hysterical. It was, it was something that I'd never, ever seen before in a church. And then there were others who were standing on their feet and worshipping and really passionate about the fact that the Easter story was all about hope. And it made me realise that people view the Easter story either of two ways. Now, as I was watching how these different people were reacting, one of the people that was there was, uh, was from our group from the church that I was with and he turned to me and he was a really new Christian but a really, really passionate Christian that was just starting out on his journey and he seemed really perplexed and confused at these people that were wailing and crying and he turned around to me and he said, what's going on? Like, why, why are these people crying like this? So, I answered him pretty uh, simply because people were talking up the front, so I couldn't go into a long conversation. And I said, like, they're upset because their Savior, Jesus, has been crucified and is dying in the story that they're hearing at the moment, and it's upsetting them. And he turned around to me without one moment's hesitation and he said, But without his death, though, we would have no hope and no future. I liked the story of Christmas, but this one's giving me a lot more hope. I think I like Easter better. And. Hearing him say that made me realize just how right he is. There never seems to be any question over how somebody should celebrate Christmas. For a Christian, it's the celebration of the birth of Jesus, the baby that gives us hope. Yet, as my friend said at the time, Christmas doesn't really mean that much without the events of Easter as well. Because if they didn't happen, then we wouldn't have that hope. That's why since then, whenever I've thought about how people react to Easter... I realize that so many people become so focused on the fact that Jesus died on the cross that it seems like they get very little else out of the Easter story itself. It certainly seems to be the case with how Easter is looked at in modern day media. Every Good Friday without fail, I can guarantee that the news will run a story on the church services that were held that day although us Baptists don't seem to get a look in very often. I think we need more smoke or altars or something um, behind us just to look a little bit cinematographic for the cameras. But they always refer to Good Friday as the most holy day in the Christian calendar, yet they rarely talk about the celebration and how holy Easter Sunday is, the day that would give most Christians a real sense of just how holy and special God is to us. Then, of course, there's the famous musical, Jesus Christ Superstar, and I'll admit, I like the music out of that uh, out of that production. And many of us probably went along and saw it when it was performed here in Melbourne with the likes of uh, John Farnham, Angry Anderson, and Kate Sobrano in the lead roles. Now, it's a great production, but with the final curtain falling as Jesus dies, there's no mention of the resurrection. So you have this wonderfully powerful musical that praises Jesus and looks at his life here on earth but it misses the greatest miracle of Jesus' life. It's like telling the story of a famous Olympian and having the film tell the story right up until the point that they win the Olympic medal and then not show it. It just doesn't make any sense that they wouldn't have the most powerful thing that Jesus ever did in his life there in the musical. Now, for many Christians, I think we view the Easter story the same way we skip over some of the passages, such as the ones we've read today, and instead jump straight to the crucifixion and the resurrection, when we can even get hope and some life lessons out of what we read today. Now, the first thing I'm going to look at today is the disciples betraying Jesus, and that's where the first life lesson comes from that I want to talk about. One of the most gut-wrenching things that Jesus had to go through leading up to His crucifixion was the fact that His nearest and dearest deserted and betrayed Him when He really needed Him there by His side. Now, of course, the most obvious of the disciples who betrayed Jesus is Judas. Luke 22, 1-6 tells us, Now, the festival of the unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the 12, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. And from the passage we read today, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kissed is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Now it's very easy to go away from this Easter story just imagining that Judas was one of those untrustworthy people that you can never trust with anything in your life. We all know those kinds of people. But we need to take a look at Judas a little bit more deeply and realize that he was one of Jesus' chosen disciples. He wasn't just some stranger that floated in to be there for the Easter story. There was nothing really that separated him from any of the other disciples. Yet here at Jesus' death, we see greed completely overcome him and he rushes to betray Jesus for just a sum of money. What it shows is that no matter how close to Jesus we think we are or how holy we are, the devil can always come in some form of temptation and is always lurking there around us and anybody can fall into that trap. Now, over the years, not one of us can say that we haven't sinned and there's sadly been more than one occasion when somebody that we admire in a church that we've been at has had some spectacular fall from grace as they've given into temptation. Sadly, we also see a lot of these people follow down the same path as Judas. And we all know what Judas's grisly end was. As Matthew 27, 3 to 10 says, "'When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned,' he said, "'for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us?' they replied, "'That's your responsibility.' So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself.'" Now, while not every Christian that gives into temptation goes as far as suicide, many Christians who have given into temptation do in fact commit spiritual suicide. As a teenager growing up in the church, I watched so many of my friends turn away from God and fall into the traps of sex, drugs and alcoholism. Even sadder is the fact that many of these people now today see themselves in the same way as Judas did, as unforgivable. Now, the tragedy of Judas' death, and this is one of the bits that, that's always got to me, is that you just know if he decided to, to stick around, I almost wrote hang around there, which I realized is not a good <laughs> play on words. If he just stuck around until Jesus rose again, there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus would have forgave him in an instant. The same can be said for us today. No matter how bad the sin or the temptation that we fall into, Jesus can forgive us. We just have to give him a chance to do so by accepting that his death at the first Easter was for us and a way to purchase our sins. Now, the second person I'm going to look at on this betrayal table is Peter. Again, one of Jesus' favourite disciples. Now, Jesus predicts Peter's betrayal earlier on at the Last Supper and it completely stuns Peter who feels that it's something that he would never do. Matthew 26, 31 to 35 says... Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. Flash forward, we read in Matthew twenty six sixty nine to 75. Now Peter was sitting in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you were one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to come, call down curses and swore at them. I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He went outside and whipped bitterly. Now Peter was the last person that he thought would ever betray Jesus. Yet here he does it when he finds himself having to do it for self-preservation. How many of us here have ever found ourselves denying Jesus in their own way? This very week, I found myself sitting at a table with two colleagues who were discussing the recent events in the Vatican that saw Cardinal George Pell reluctantly give evidence in the Royal Commission into the sex crimes in the Catholic Church. Now, as the discussion went on, They went on to topics including that no churches can be trusted and that the Bible is just full of falsehoods and that it's a a fantasy book. And I couldn't help but have my own say on the matter. And I tried to explain to them in this nice and calm manner what the Bible meant to me, what God meant to me. And as I reflected on it afterwards, I realized that years ago, back in my university days, I probably would have just sat there and not had the courage to speak up. In fact, there were times when I was in uni when I heard people having similar discussions in our cafeteria. And I back then, I just didn't say anything. I just sat there silent. And while I didn't exactly deny Jesus in the same way that Peter did, my silence was the next best thing. Now, Peter's reaction to what happened here, though, is very different to Judas' reaction. Peter lived and learned from his mistakes and was rewarded with forgiveness when Jesus rose again. Like all of us, he would have believed that Jesus died for his sins, and like us, he was rewarded with forgiveness and eternal life. Now, to be fair to Peter and to most of the disciples, they all, all the disciples kind of showed their own form of betrayal towards Jesus by fleeing and going into hiding when they realized that they may have been put to death or arrested in the same way that Jesus was. And it's here that we learn another valuable life lesson. Over the past few weeks, Pastor Luke has preached and talked about different ways that we as a church can go out and serve the community or spread God's word in the community. Maybe some of you have sat there and thought, there's no way that God could ever use me in that way or perhaps I've sinned too much in my life to ever be of use to God. Well, look at these 12 men. They were the closest friends that Jesus could ever have had. Undoubtedly, nobody else could ever say that they were that close to Jesus. But all 12 of them betrayed Jesus in their own way. But if you look at further into the New Testament, 11 of those men then went out into the world and became some of the strongest evangelists that the world has ever seen. One other pastor summed it up brilliantly in something I read this week when um, he used the terms, the disciples that fled the garden ended up becoming those who turned the world upside down through the Holy Spirit. And that really spoke to me when, um, when I was reading through that. Now, it, it's almost so strange to work out how God ended up using these men after the events of what happened here at Easter. But I've seen this kind of stuff happen in my own life as well. Um, I went along once and heard a, an amazing preacher preach one of the strongest sermons I've ever heard. And then afterwards I found out that he had formerly been a head of the satanic church in America. He'd made a complete switch from the Satanic Church to Christianity. Also, as some of you would know, a few years ago I was in a Christian heavy metal band. Now, our drummer was a born again Christian who, earlier in his life, had had a very different life. When he was a teacher, he was involved. Uh, when he was a teenager, he was involved in a really criminal lifestyle. He grew up around a crime family, and when he was 17, he was arrested for committing an armed holdup on a store. Now, he served jail time and while in prison came to know the lord and after he joined our band we found that his involvement in our band started to create some problems in that um in ways that we'd never foreseen happening his past criminal record meant that whenever we were playing underage gigs at festivals we had to replace him in our band because he couldn't get a working with children's check at times it got him down so much that he kept on saying to the rest of us you know it'd just be better off if you guys dumped me from the band and let me go and do my own thing. But we wouldn't do that. And soon, after lots of prayer, God found another way that we could use Him. He kept playing at all our over-18 gigs, but He could also get involved with talking to young offenders about how they could turn their lives around with Christ. And while He would love to have been there to have told the young teens the same things, God found a very different way for Him to evangelise and instead... He was able to go and talk to 18 and 19 year olds and turn their lives around rather than 16 and 17 year olds. Then thankfully, a lot of those people that he spoke to also came to know God as well. Now the story of the disciples here, not only shows us that God can use us to spread his word no matter what we've done in the past, but combined with the Easter story shows that if we're willing to accept that Jesus died to give us eternal life, then we should be willing to go out into the world and want to spread that good news wherever we go. It it always surprises me when people describe hearing what Jesus did for them as good news, but then are reluctant to go out and tell people about it. Because when you get good news, you always want to go out and tell people. When a baby is born, everybody puts it all over Facebook these days. I'm a dad, I'm a mom. We all see it but we don't see the same thing happen when people want to go out and talk about the good news that's delivered in the Bible. Now, the second and equally most important message that I get out of this um, passage is how to stand up to our enemies. And Jesus gives a great example here. And that's what my second life lesson is going to be this morning. Right here in the passage we read today, we see one of the first times during the Easter story that Jesus comes face to face physically with an enemy who doesn't care about having to hurt him. Matthew 26:50 to 55 says, "'Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. "'Put your sword back in its place,' Jesus said to him. "'For all who draw the sword will die by the sword.' Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But then, would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say that it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted Him and fled. Then, when you look at that, it's actually funny because it's Peter who jumps up um, with the sword. And as we read later before, he was one of the ones who ended up betraying Jesus. It also possibly doesn't come across here the way that it would have actually happened. A lot of people think that he just jumped up and chopped off the ear. Um, realistically, he was probably aiming to do a lot worse, but the soldier moved and he got the ear. Now, in these days and times, if a friend jumps to your defense, it's seen as a badge of honor. Um, I was at the Sydney Carlton match on Friday night, and deep in the fort pocket, one of our boys nearly got his head ripped off by one of the Carlton players. Instantly, two swans were on top of the guy, pushing him into the boundary line fence, and everybody cheered because... They saw it as that badge of honour. Here's this player who's come under attack by the opposition and in comes two of his mates to jump to his defence and help him out. The commentators were going nuts about it, saying that it showed that uh, that the swans stick together and if players' teammates don't come in and remonstrate with an aggressor in an incident like that, it shows that there's something wrong inside the team. Now, likewise here, when when Peter stepped forward with the sword and used it to defend Jesus, he probably thought that he would receive praise, but instead Jesus tells him to stand down. Not only that, but in Luke we learn that Jesus also then heals the poor servant, which the history books tells us was actually the equivalent of a temple police officer who's just had his ear lopped off. Now, how many of us here would say that not only would we defend ourselves if somebody came to hurt us, but also... Would then get up to help them with their own pain. I know it really puts you in a in an awkward situation. Now, all throughout the Easter story, we see that even Jesus never once lashes out at his tormentors. Matthew twenty six fifty seven to sixty seven tells us those who arrested Jesus took him to Cephas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance. Right up to the courtyard of the high priest, he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Proph- prophesize to us, Messiah, who hit you? Here we see Jesus being verbally assaulted and also physically abused. Yet he doesn't lash out once. How many people here have seen those famous videos on YouTube of, uh, of people who think it's really funny to go up to the Queen's guards? You know, those guards at Buckingham Palace that wear the red with the black hats, they're supposed to stand perfectly still. And every now and then you get these idiots that think it's really funny to go up to them and try and get in their face and try and get a reaction out of them. And normally the the poor guard will just stand there for a few minutes and just really take it. And then all of a sudden they normally just lash out with one fist or something like that. You see the guy go crashing to the ground. It's in human nature that when something like that is happening to us, We want to lash out. But here, Jesus takes all that is thrown at him, beatings, whippings, thorns being shoved on his head, verbal abuse, and tons more, but never once does he react back out in anger. At one point, we even read that Jesus asks his Father to forgive those that are abusing him. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I could have done that. even during an ordinary week, there are times when I want to say something or bite back at someone or and sometimes it's really hard not to. Um, perhaps one of the times when I feel like that most of the time is, uh, is when I'm on Facebook and I see some of the things that other Christians post. Thankfully, it's never been anyone from this church, but it alarms me how often some of the Christians I grew up with will, will post something up there that, that are really vile and a really bad rant against those that are gay or have had an abortion or of another faith. And, and reading their posts of how they say these people are going to burn in hell, et cetera, really affect me emotionally. As it's, it's something that that not only goes against what Jesus shows us in the Bible, but it gives Christians a bad name right around the world. It's as far removed from the examples that Jesus shows us here in the Easter story that you can humanly imagine, yet there are times when I really have to bite my tongue and not stoop to their level and have a go back. I just sit there and wish they would instead follow my wife's saying that I absolutely love, of love the person but not their sins. Here, Jesus shows us the perfect way to respond to our enemies. Ignore them, show compassion for them, And never, ever react aggressively towards your enemies. Now, I've been through a really tough week this week. As some of you would have seen Um, yesterday, I had all of my accounts hacked this week, my emails and everything. And some of the things that some of my stuff has been used for has been really immoral and really, really terrible. And it's, yeah, it's been a tough week. And at times, I've really wanted to lash out and lash out at those people that have... um, that have done this, but I haven't. And as I sat here this morning and was reflecting on my sermon, I realized that these people deserve forgiveness just as much as everybody else in this world. And you can't pick and choose who gets Jesus's forgiveness. Forgiveness is there for everybody. And again, that's why we should go out and tell the good news of the Easter story so that people know that that forgiveness is there for them and that there's a way out of their lifestyle or whatever they've been doing wrong. Now, the aside to what I was just saying before is that any time during this ordeal, Jesus could have put a stop to what was happening and taken back control. As we read here, Jesus says, do you think I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus knew that in order for his arrest and his death to happen, it had to happen to save us from our sins and give us eternal life. Jesus knew God's grand plan and he knew that he was part of it. So this Easter, instead of concentrating on the sadness of Good Friday, concentrate on the hope and the new life that the Easter Sunday gives us all. At the same time, though, we must remember that this gift also comes with some responsibility. Now, the Marvel comic fans out there are going to love this. As Peter Parker's grandfather says, with great power comes great responsibility. While it's easy to accept that Jesus died so that we are forgiven, being a Christian also comes with some responsibility. As Christians, Jesus sets us a great example of how to live out on and with our lives. But it's our responsibility to live our lives that way. Whether it not be lashing out in anger or whether it be forgiving those who do wrong by us, it's all there in the Bible for us to follow. We're also challenged to go out and spread God's word as the disciples did. As I mentioned earlier, God used the disciples to go and spread His word all throughout the worlds, even after the unthinkable things that they had done by betraying Jesus on the very day that he needed them. And while they may have failed the test of the day itself, ultimately they become some of of God's most useful servants as they spread his word throughout the world. So this Easter, I want to challenge everybody out there. If you already believe that Jesus died for you, then I want you to share that good news with at least one other person this Easter. If somebody asks you the true meaning of Easter, don't be afraid to spread that good news to them. And also, if something that I've talked about this morning's kind of talked to you inside, and you didn't know that good news about Easter before I spoke about it this morning, please don't be afraid to come forward and, and speak to one of us this morning. You can speak to myself, you can speak to Pastor Luke. Uh, Dave Young, uh, Ray there's a number of us here this morning that would only be too happy to talk to you about it so let's pray